Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. At Progressive, you can get 24-7 protection, even if you break the space-time continuum. We did it. We time traveled to yesterday. Wait, Progressive covers us 24-7, but we just created an eight-day week, and it's 24-7 coverage, not 24-8. We gotta go back. Are you joking right now? Shh, I'm calling them. Hi, I have a question about time travel. Progressive offers more than a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection, which literally means anytime. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Welcome back into another edition of The Kickabout here on The Blue Room. I'm your host, Rob Vera. This week, I am joined by uh, Keith Tomlin, uh, a Hall of Famer of the Blue Room Mailbag. For those of you who have heard, uh, you know, who are subscription uh, or subscribers to Blue Room Extra. Uh, and I'm also joined by a relatively, not a first time guest, but a relatively infrequent yet incredibly critical guest uh to to the kickabout into the blue room uh my brother uh john vera though he goes by sebastian we'll 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 go what do you want to go by for the purposes of today brother uh we'll do sebastian and you ask me this every time i'm on i know it's a fun bit i like doing it because it annoys you (laughs) uh keith and keith uh, you and many of the other guys in our group chat also call him i think brother v and a variety of other things that that make 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 it very apparent that you all (laughs) like him more than you like me so not at all not at all It's, it's it's very it's very even very equal yeah yeah well so guys it's uh i i feel at times when we come on to this particular podcast and really any of our podcasts uh, of late, especially the last few months that um, we're, we're, we're remarking so often about how weird the world is right now that it almost has become uh, it, it's almost become its own joke. Um, and I, I, I've generally thought that it, 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 you almost say it so much that it loses its meaning, but 
Yet the world continues to surprise me with the way that, uh, especially in these six months of 2020, which has been the longest decade of my lifetime, uh, that, that <laughs> things just keep happening. The world does not stop. Um, you know, the, the, there's, there's that, there's this funny string of articles that have gone around about how uh, pollution is way down in all these places because of COVID and people staying home. And so you, you do see the impact of, of everything with the epidemic happening and the way it's changed our lives. But, uh, the, the things lying underneath the surface that have been there forever, uh, are, have never really gone away. And so we come to you at the time of this recording on Thursday, um, I'm of course broadcasting from America as I almost always am. And I was saying to, uh, both my brother and to Keith before we came on and really, I, and I know I posted about this on Twitter as well, that the idea of coming on here and doing the normal kind of shoot the shit, uh, talk about uh, <laughs> breakfast foods or albums I'm into or uh, shows or just kind of weird observations, which will always remain a staple of, of this fine program. Uh, I can I can promise you this is your favorite Everton. This I want this to be your favorite Everton podcast. That's not about Everton. I, and I do maintain that that will will always be one of my goals. But to, to come on here and kind of ignore reality, um, despite there being an argument of, well, I need an escape from it or whatever. I, I, I just, I find that whole notion absurd, uh, this week. Um, we, there's just too much going on in America right now, um, to just ignore it or not talk about it. And as I, of course, acknowledge, um, you know, being someone who is doing a podcast that is very niche driven towards an, you know, a niche audience of, of Everton supporters who happen to follow the Blue Room podcast and so on. I, I, I understand that my platform in a relative sense is relatively small, but I did feel like I, I had to come on and, and talk about this today and acknowledge it. And part of what I want my guests to engage with me on in part of this discussion is just how they have consumed this, the news and the events of the, the last, uh, you know, couple of weeks here in America. Um, and, and we'll also talk a little bit about, and kind of take it back to sports a little bit as well. We'll talk a little bit about the reactions of, uh, not only are the teams that we follow, um, but, but also having a discussion about what is their responsibility to have a position on these things? Um, how do we feel about, um, our, the, you know, the athletes who far too often are told to just shut up and stick to sports actually chiming in about these things? Um, I think you'll get a sense early on how I feel about those things. If you didn't already kind of have a sense of that, um, I've said several times on here when we talk about Everton and the players and the media, the media control that the club places on them to, you know, not really give them a platform to talk about anything outside of football or outside of very safe topics that I've always found that a bit problematic um, because they are human beings after all. But uh, America, well, the last week or so, um, if, unless you've been hiding under a rock, you are aware of the fact that there have been uh, not isolated, not concentrated, but massive, massive widespread protests uh, here in the United States um, over that were that are really about a, a broader, a broader issue. And let's go ahead and just call it what it is right now. Um, these protests uh, were were 
ignited by the very much publicized death of George Floyd, uh, a black man in Minneapolis who was murdered at the hands of the Minneapolis police. Um, it was, of course, more the, the outrage, of course, was sparked even in a more widespread fashion because of the fact that it was all caught on videotape. Um, I'm probably telling you all things that you are already aware of. Uh, if you haven't seen the video, um, I'm I'm not going to tell you that you need to go watch it. It's I've I've only made it through small parts of it because I'm as my wife likes to say I'm really sensitive and I and I have a hard time dealing with some of those things and I don't really feel bad about that. But I um, at points in the video as his as a as one of the officers has a knee on his neck and he's he's begging for his life, begging for his mother, um, proclaiming that he can't breathe. It's 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 as disturbing as it sounds. So whether you see the video or not. Um, it, it's, it's as bad as you think it is, uh, I imagine. So, um, this of course is not the only reason that there are protests. Uh, sometimes there is a spark that comes, uh, to ignite, uh, ignite an inferno, but the protests, uh, have, have started, uh, as a response to this on a micro level, but on a macro level are about the long-term widespread systemic uh, racism in, in the United States uh, in general, uh, more specifically about how that systemic racism has, uh, for a long, long period of time, you can argue throughout our history, has infected us like a cancer, uh, not only throughout our society, but specifically in policing, um, which has led to, uh, un, you know, Un, almost an uncountable, uh, though they can be counted, but an almost uncountable number of uh, unarmed uh, black men uh, and unarmed men and women of color. I shouldn't just limit it to just, uh, you know, one specific uh, group or gender um, um, who have been who've been uh, killed by police. Um, and I'm calling I'm using very specific direct language here because I think sometimes in conversations like these, we try really hard to sort of soft pedal the language because we don't want to offend anyone. We want to do that thing where we say, but, you know, we also know really good police officers and we know, you know, and those are things that I think are self-evident. I don't I don't think I have to come on here and say, well, there are also white guys that are not racist or there are also police that are not racist. Like some of those things are relatively self-evident. I, I don't feel like I need to qualify all of those things. But the, the problem is that when you have even a even a small percentage of police that operate in a way um, consistent with um, with racial prejudice uh, and therefore apply deadly force uh, in a very liberal way, um, and it speaks to uh, issues around uh, how policing is done, um, you know, how people who have guns uh, use that use that uh, <laughs> that responsibility of having a gun and being public servant and apply the law with it, et cetera. Um, it's a it's a it's a widespread set of issues. And where I'll begin to turn it over to my guests here is um, to kind of finish off this positioning statement by saying, that what we're in the middle of here in America right now is a response, a very rapid response uh, in the form of a movement um, that while it may be new in terms of these recent events is a response to a problem or a set of problems or an entire environment of problems uh, that goes back hundreds of years and um, 
goes back to what is often referred to as the original sin of the United States, which is slavery. Um, and how everything from the initial advent of slavery uh, all the way through to uh, the Civil War, American Civil War and Reconstruction has led to um, has led to exactly where we are today. You can draw a line directly from it. Um, even being, and of course, this is not unique just to America. Of course, um, you know, even last time I was in Liverpool, I was I was uh, taking, you know, I was walking around uh, the city with with Mike Diasha, and he was, and, we, and I was talking about again how much I love Liverpool, what a beautiful city it is. And uh, in that very Mike Diasha historian sort of way, he reminded me about how much of the slave trade uh, was was launched from launched from and, and uh, propagated uh, by Liverpool, uh, the city of Liverpool back in its time. And so there, there's so much uh, that we we all can learn about the problem itself. But I think then the conversation begins to shift to those of us um, who have who have the the privilege of of being white um, in, in terms of how it impacts us and and how I think the conversation and the movement this time feels different because the notion that silence equals complicity is really taken root here. And the protests are not concentrated in just a few big cities or a few left-leaning cities, you know, as much as anyone wants to make it political. I even put a thread on Twitter the other day that I shared of all of these small towns in America in both blue and red states, um, you know, states that you would think are huge Republican strongholds because they are, that are also have young people protesting at it. That's why it feels like a movement. That's why it feels different. So this anyway, that that's really what's been on my mind. So I'm going to start, Keith, with you, uh, because um, I can't avoid this, uh, every, you know, not only in this discussion, but in the news every day. Um, there have been protests here in my own hometown. Um, they're, they're, they're everywhere. This is not something people can ignore any longer. My question to you, Keith, is, uh, as always, whenever big news happens anywhere, I'm always curious about the lens through which people in other countries uh, outside of America uh, view this um, and what your thoughts are when you have seen the news of what's been going on, just because I, I'm, I am genuinely curious as to just how much of this feels like an, an American movement or how much of this has sparked conversation abroad as well. I mean, I tend not to watch the mainstream news in the UK because by and large, it's absolutely garbage. Um, so I get most of my news from social media feeds like Twitter and Facebook. Um, and then I'll, I'll look a bit further into it myself and research, try and try and see it from both sides as it were. But there's not two sides to this. There isn't two sides. This isn't a two sided story. This is, this is, for want of a better phrase, this is black and white. It's pretty clear cut. This is, like you've said, there are hundreds of years of oppression and cruelty and abject misery for some people who have always been kept down and put down. And this is this is this is the tipping point, and it, it's been a long time coming. I, I feel. Um, and there's been too many instances where it's happened and everyone's got outraged and there's all there's uproar about it and nothing happens. Nothing nothing comes of it. The officers involved 
like you said, countless occasions where a black man's been killed by a policeman and the officers involved end up like medically discharged on health grounds and go off and get themselves a cushy job as a security manager in a supermarket or whatnot. And I think it's, it's too much. It's just been too much. And without what's going on right now, I feel like there's every chance that it would have happened again. It would have been swept under the rug. There wouldn't have been justice for it, as we're seeing now with the with the officer involved um, or the former officer being charged with second-degree murder. That wouldn't have happened without this response because it would have been far too easy for the chief of police, for the Minnesota go- uh, governor, to sit back and go, well, there's, there's not really anything coming of this. So we'll have a bit of upset for a while and then it will go back to normal. This is a movement that's happening now. And it's taken hold as a result of what happened last Monday. And it's just, this isn't going to stop. This isn't going to go back to, oh, we'll just, we'll put up and shut up. This is good. This is going to see for the first time, I think, real change. And that's not something that can be contained to just America. And you're seeing as a result on social media, you're seeing a lot more media clips of the Metropolitan Police in London attack, uh, attacking, or not loath to say attacking, but violently apprehending black people of colour for minor transgressions, like sit, sitting on a step with a mobile phone, you're seen as a suspect drug dealer. And you mentioned white privilege there. And anyone that says white privilege isn't a thing is a fucking liar. A white man will never be stopped by the police on the basis of the colour of his skin. And, oh, it might be him. He's white. That's a privilege. Anyone that says that isn't a privilege is a liar. And I'll 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 argue with them all day on that. So yeah, yeah it's it has you you've seen obviously you've seen the, the result in I don't know how much you've seen of what's going on in London. London's been pretty much locked down for the most part with the pandemic. The marches in London have been huge. There's been thousands of tens of thousands of people turning out to protest this. And Liverpool as well. Liverpool saw a demonstration um, the other night at St George's Hall, which was which was by and large very peacefully done and mm-hmm. respectfully done. Um, and we we we're really lucky where we are in that for gathering like that, we won't be charged with batons or have tear gas fired at us or rubber bullets. And I think seeing it happening and how much the coverage there has been of ordinary people, people who have just gone to be part of the movement, being shot at with rubber bullets. And rubber bullets aren't non-lethal, they're less lethal. 
Yeah. If you Keith, you're, you, you, you know how to handle a gun, Keith, I know. So I, I you know a little bit more. You know a lot more about guns than, than either my brother yeah. or I do because of your military background. So tell tell our listeners, uh, based on what you, you understand about rubber bullets, because I think when the reporting comes out about protesters being fired on with rubber bullets, it's almost treated as if they're being fired at with, with, with water guns or something like yeah. that. <laughs> so with a rubber bullet, the, the correct deployment of a rubber bullet you are supposed to shoot into the ground and have it ricochet up into the crowd so that the speed is dispersed from it and it's a it's a it's a non-lethal or it is supposed to be non-lethal because the the most of the velocity is gone out of the projectile by the time it actually hits who it's supposed to hit um they've never been used that way and like rubber bullets first came about in the in the seventies in um, in the troubles in Northern Ireland, and it was the Ministry of Defence that actually invented them, and it was used for dispersing crowds. And there was that that was the instruction for how they were supposed to be used, but they've never been used like like that. They've always been fired directly into a crowd, and if you hit someone, say you hit someone in the neck with that. You can, you can rupture an artery easily. You hit someone in the heart, you can stop the heart. It's, it's inhumane to be firing these sort of things at human beings in the first place. But to do so in a manner designed to... Well, you, you can't say when you're firing that directly at a person that you won't kill them. So you've made the decision that you're happy enough that what you've done... Is going to kill, might kill that person, and you're okay with it because they're in a peaceful crowd. Yeah, it's it's beyond belief, to be honest. The- well, and it's it especially is, uh, and and Sebastian, I I I know that for for us growing up, especially in a very particular version of America as children in the eighties and into the early nineties where, you know, there were certain things that we understood about America, uh, that I think we always sort of took for granted were true in terms of equal treatment and the right to protest and, and all these things. Uh, you know, even Keith said, you know, something related to the idea that this maybe felt more like a movement. And, and I've been thinking about this too, because of the fact that, that uh, and I use the word you know use the word normal people Keith but I I know the way you you meant it was that people who didn't ordinarily used to protest or wouldn't have ordinarily protested uh, before were bothered by this in a way that that, that feels different. Um, so Sebastian, I, I I'm curious. Um, you know, you're you're based in Pittsburgh. Um, I know that you've been at least consuming these events. You are a musician, um, and I know as part of being a musician in the community that you're a part of, you are part of uh, uh, generally quite a diverse uh, community of people. Um, what have you, you know, in terms of how you've been consuming this so far? Um, you know, what is your sense of how this? either does or does not feel different? Uh, what's the feedback that you've gotten from, from friends on this? What are your thoughts in general? I mean, it's, it's, it's impossible to avoid. Um, and, you know, a lot of people are uncomfortable right now, and they probably should be, that, mm-hmm. that feeling of feeling uncomfortable. Um, and 
like you said, it's a like Keith kind of touched on. It's it's a perfect storm right now. A lot of people are are out of work. A lot of people have a lot of free time. A lot of people are able to c- consume this video, and it's built on top of so many other instances of the past. Um, so you know, and Keith also touched on on the media part. I mean, that feeds into it so much. Um, there's not. I mean, it's a lazy argument, like you touched on, Robert. It's it's a lazy argument to say all cops are bad. It's a lazy argument to say that all these people that are getting hurt in protest were being violent. Um, that's obviously not true, and, but that's obviously what you're going to see the most on Twitter. No one's, not as many people are posting the you know the wonderful peaceful protests. Um, that being said, you know there are bad cops, and there needs to be a higher level of accountability. There needs to be a higher level of leadership. There needs to be a higher level of systemic change. Um, And if this whole thing is enlightening people to think differently, to be more aware, to start having conversations, great. Um, I, I find myself getting annoyed at, you know, sometimes the problem on the left is we we have to be perfect in the way we protest. You know, a lot of this is new for people, um, communicating, um, Mm -hmm. and not everyone's going to run out to the middle of the streets and put themselves in danger. It doesn't mean they don't care. Um, I find just as much value in having a conversation with that, you know, person during the holidays in your family that always says some off color remarks that you kind of (laughs) ignore, but you know, we're in a society now where we're so comfortable being, you know, People making these posts, great. It's great. But just remember, like, 95% of people seeing your post are probably thinking the same way you are. Right. Um, And when I get frustrated is when, you know, you see people make a post and then they're not going to vote. (laughs) Or, you know, or try to donate or try to just educate yourself before saying something. Because it's really, I feel like we don't, no no one thinks they're racist. Right. <laughs> Do you know anyone that like, well, I'm actually a racist. Right. I mean, that's that's the but that speaks to the problem. Right. Is that. Yeah. If people, you know, people don't think that they are. And, and yet here we are. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, OK, no matter who you are, you can probably do a little better. You can probably try to understand something. There's probably something. Have you ever read about Jim Crow? Have you ever read about redlining? I mean, there's always something you can do better. Um, And it doesn't mean that you have to be labeled as a racist or think you're a bad person to do better. It's just wanting to understand another culture. I I feel like we often just put it as like, oh, this person is being discriminated against because of the color of his skin. It's not only the color of the skin. That's that's what someone's seeing. I think people are afraid of people that are different than them, mm-hmm. of another culture that expresses themselves, their anger, their sadness, their joy in different ways. Um, the way they eat their food, the way they listen to music. Like we could spend much more time trying to understand and find commonality in other cultures. Yeah. That's all I'm kinda... Yeah, no. I, I I think that 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 notion of of being different and the way that 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 anxiety that's created in in uh, in so many of us uh, who kind of like there's this idea that people in America, especially uh, most white people in America, still being the, the majority of people view themselves as the quote default 
American. You know, we're we're the normal Americans. These people are different. And in in when you when you operate that way, whether consciously or subconsciously, um, when you view yourselves as kind of the you're the you're normal and everyone else is is something different that has impacts and implications on not only the way that you treat people today but how you view their history how you are uh, open-minded to hearing their voices how you're open-minded most importantly to hearing their pain um you know the single one of the single greatest um revolutionary uh <laughs> Uh, moments in our history, um, whether we knew it or not, was the invention of this thing. You know, the, I'm, I'm holding up my iPhone right now. Um, we now have a, a mobilized society um, that is able to not only say that they're different, not only tell their story, but now have a greater ability to be believed. And it's sad that it has taken that to believe them, but I think it's that idea that the majority population views themselves as normal, that they view these accounts that have been going on for hundred, you know, hundred plus, you know, hundreds of years in terms of how people are treated um, with skepticism, because it just doesn't square with the experience that we have. Um, you know, if, if you didn't, if you didn't see what had happened to George Floyd on a video and you are part of that dominant culture um, and you hear that a police officer killed someone um, oftentimes your first reaction is to be kind of skeptical, uh, despite what the story was from the aggrieved party, because the idea is that, well, that doesn't square with how my experience with the police, you know, my experience with the police has always been very, very nice, you know, <laughs> and when you, and when you operate from, from that quote unquote, uh, position of normality, uh, it is hard for you to really believe and to hear people and to under, you know, to actually accept that their pain can be real and that their trauma can be real. Um, I think the reason that this feels like a movement is because while the problem is not fundamentally different, the victims are not fundamentally different because they've been experiencing this for a long time. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, the reason this feels like a movement is because now you're starting to see, and I, and I hate to just put it in these kind of simplistic terms, but you know, we've, we've only got a certain amount of time on a podcast uh, that is ostensibly about Everton and weird things to uh, solve the world's problems. But the reason this feels like a movement right now is because moderate uh, to moder even to some, you know, to some right leaning moderate white people in our culture and our society and the media and so on and so forth are now beginning to acknowledge and talk about things and participate in protests that you never would have seen before. I think that's <laughs> unfortunately it's going, it, those are the, those are the people who, when you begin to see their, their minds and their paradigms suddenly shifting in front of them, that's when you know that something is truly afoot because, you know, we can focus, we, we obviously, the focus is obviously on the, the parties that are aggrieved, but the movement aspect of this and the, the idea that, that, that the needle can be moved in regards to change um, has to come in large part from, you know, from a basis of acknowledgement by the party that has been harming the aggrieved party um, and uh, acknowledging that, that this is real. And, and, and by the way, um, you know, the, uh, the, the other aspect of this, at least in America, that, that we don't talk about nearly enough, and I think that more and more people are getting caught up on, is this notion, too, that, you know, 
Unequal treatment under the law is not some sort of accident. Um, starting from the time uh, after the Civil War here when uh, slavery was abolished, the entire system was set up in such a way to continue to make this cycle uh, of targeting um, people of color and you know uh, d denying them particular economic advantages. Those weren't accidents. Those were legislated. Those were meticulously planned. And you know this notion that that some people have had over the years that you know uh, that 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 life is fair and you just got to try hard and that there that the discrimination may exist in some places but it's not you know it's something that can be overcome. I, I think that that video, um, you know, for all that was wrong with it, began to really shatter a lot of people's notions of of fairness being this kind of default position of our society in a democratic because we in America we like to think well we're we're a democratic society the land of opportunity um Keith I'm sure you've heard the phrases American exceptionalism a lot and as much as that sounds like a really maga trumpy thing to say a lot of that comes from this notion that in America no matter who you are or what you look like you can accomplish anything and I think that I think that that now people are really getting the message that that's not always the case. And uh, in fact, that is often and most, most often not the case. Um, I want to shift though. I, look, I, <laughs> this is an imperfect discussion because I think it's just about talking about naming the problem, acknowledging it, talking about the way in which we've processed this and, and seen this or consumed this uh, from our own very limited uh, viewpoints. But one of the conversations I wanted to shift to, uh, to kind of ostensibly turn it back to sports a little bit, um, is about how are the teams that we follow have responded to this? Because Keith, to your point, this is not just an American thing. Uh, this You've seen protests now that have spread all over the world, uh, demonstrations all over the world, which in, in many ways for me uh, is incredibly heartening. But we also can't help but look to the companies, the entities, the whatever you want to call them that we follow or that we are invested in to see what they are going to say and or not say about um, you know events that are as seismic as this. So one of the things that I wanted to really talk to you get wanted to bring up, and really I want to frame this as a question first and foremost, because in the light of this, we saw very quickly statement unequivocal statements in support of Black Lives Matter, uh, not only from Everton, but from our manager Carlo Ancelotti. Um, I, I can only take an inventory of. Teams that I've probably seen, uh, you know, retweeted on Twitter with their own particular statements. It's been fascinating to note those that I follow. Um, you know, for me, I follow, you know, I have an NFL team, I have a hockey team, I have a basketball team, a baseball team, whatever. Um, it's been fascinating to note their responses, their language, uh, or in the case of, you know, one particularly big omission, uh, the case of uh, my my NFL team, the Dallas Cowboys, uh, who have been painfully silent on this issue. Uh, 
Um, they have very much taken a, at least up to this point, it may come by the time we release this recording, watch it get tweeted out because that's the kind of luck I have on this, on on this platform. But, um, they've said nothing on it while you've had other teams, uh, in other parts of the country express support for the movement. They, some of them use stronger language. Some of them use more generic company speak type statements. My question to you, Keith, uh, as someone who is again, viewing a lot of this from the outside, who has a particular relationship to not only Everton, but to, I'm sure, other sporting entities. I know the New England Patriots being one of them. I see your shirt. Um, what role or responsibility do the teams that you follow have um, in regards to making a statement on issues like this um, and expressing an opinion uh, or just at least establishing a position? I think... For the certainly for the UK based teams, um, obviously racism plays a large part in sport still, unfortunately. Um, so they have a responsibility to their fan base, to the young black players, to stand firmly behind them with unequivocal support. And I think by and large that's what you've seen from like certainly Everton have done it, Liverpool have done it in a albeit in a, a very cringy way that they had to get the photographer in to take a picture of them doing it. Hmm. Um, I think the big thing is with US sports at the moment, in that you look at some of the some of the highest paid sportsmen in America are young black men who if they didn't have the talent to run, to catch a ball, to throw a ball, could have been in that same position as George Floyd. They could have been on the floor with a knee on their neck, but for the grace of that talent. And you look back a couple of years ago at the Colin Kaepernick um, protests against police brutality, he was roundly shouted down from the highest levels of the sport. Right. Like... Don't do this. Well, don't, don't don't make a scene. Don't cause a scene. Now I know he he did have a lot of support when he was doing it, and there was a lot of other athletes got involved with it as well, which is great to see. But you look at what came after that. He's gone what now? Three is it three years without a team? Yeah, three to four years, I think, Ten, now without three, a team. And and by the way, I, I should point out because I think this is important to note. Um, if you're if you view if you've heard about this issue from afar, I think the biggest issue with what Colin Kaepernick, uh, the stand that he took, has been the messaging around what it was about. Because the entire time, the issue of taking now, first and foremost, I should point out that is the big difference. Obviously, is that in America we have this weird thing where we play the national anthem before every sporting event, whereas it's only kind of reserved for you know actual national events uh, in other parts of the world, but. Um, the Colin Kaepernick thing was always about police brutality and, you know, some of the in civil rights issues. And yet those who wish to completely deflate it, 
uh, deflate that issue and distract from that issue, decided not to address the issue at all and instead decided to, you know, gaslight everyone and tell everyone that this was really about disrespecting the flag or disrespecting the yeah. U.S. military and, of course, using patriotism as a weapon. <laughs> so um, that that is now, of course, um, the irony is is so clear because you saw a lot of people who use that argument in order to completely try to delegitimize and, and ultimately blackball uh, Colin Kaepernick from the NFL. Um, and the irony being that now those same people are saying that it's okay for peaceful protests to happen, but you know we just don't want any of the violence or anything like yeah. that, which is like, uh, exactly well, what Kaepernick was trying hang to on, do. Hang on, we tried peaceful peaceful protest and you told us to shut up yeah exactly yeah um so yeah and then you look at obviously um i don't know how much you've seen of it um yet yesterday with uh drew Brees, who's one of the biggest one of the biggest names in the sport and he's come out and he's he's equated what's going on now back to disrespecting the anthem and and it he's been Thankfully, he's been roundly shouted down, mostly by his own teammates, um, Michael Thomas and Malcolm Jenkins in particular, have been quick to come out and like really condemn him for it. And uh, I do believe he's issued a, a retraction or a clarification today. But um, yeah, it, yeah. it read it read like his PR reps wrote a very sincere apology on his behalf. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's the sort of thing. I'm very sorry that you were offended by by my behavior. That's something you should work <laughs> well, on. No, no, I will say to his credit, um, the, the state, the, the statement this morning. So let's, let's re- reset this really quickly for those who are not aware. So Drew Brees, if you don't know who he is, is the quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. And it would also be remiss of me not to mention the fact that Drew Brees has used his, um, wealth and celebrity in New Orleans for a ton of, uh, charitable efforts there around Hurricane Katrina and around feeding people and doing a lot of good things. Uh, so, I, having said all of that, um, you're allowed to say, you know, a person is neither all right or all wrong or all good or all bad, as we know. Um, Drew Brees' biggest sin was that he was essentially doing this interview yesterday. Uh, it was yesterday or a couple of days ago in the midst of all of this, where even the person asking him a question kind of framed it under, well, now that you see with all these protests and we, we understand more what Cap- Colin Kaepernick was protesting, how do you feel? About- I mean, the, the interviewer could not have set it up better for Drew Brees to say, um, I respect, um, you, you know, I, I support my teammates. I respect uh, their, their decision to take a knee, et cetera, et cetera. But instead, he just flipped right back into default, uh, default uh, flag military patriotism mode of, uh, my my f- my grandparents uh, fought for this country and disrespect. I will never agree to disrespecting the flag. But like he completely once again just just you know negated what the actual protest was about and basically made it into a whole you know do you, do you support the military or not? Which is such a silly false equi- yeah it's a, it's such a false dichotomy anyway. But um, the, the he of course then got roundly criticized across the sporting world by his own teammates, by others in the NFL, by LeBron James, by, you know, you name it. And, you know, this morning, of course, as inevitably was going to happen, came the apology and the I am an ally and I'm all these things. But I I, I imagine, especially given all the photos of him with uh, 
President Trump and others that he is probably going to have a ways to go and actually rebuilding uh, some trust with with his own teammates. Now, having said all of that, Keith, to your point, and 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 this is where the the issues can become dicey because I think that a lot of people, and especially uh, you know white people, uh, trying to talk about this feel that sense of and maybe this is why some of these teams are afraid to say anything or just to, to use strong language because they feel like uh they're gonna get shot they're gonna get <laughs> shot down for this uh because uh you know you can't win quote unquote but but to the earlier point guys like i think right now is a time for us to to you know, I, I think it is a time for people in Drew Brees' position to, uh, you know, be the ones who actually come out and support their their fellow teammates and and acknowledge their pain and acknowledge that this is what it's about and acknowledge that they want to to be supportive the first time they're asked and and to also risk uh, risk any risk risk some of that backlash because right now if they're uncomfortable they should be uncomfortable. Yeah, and and so I mean, do I think Drew Brees is a racist? No. Was what he said incredibly tone deaf yes. of the current situation? Of course it was. Is this an excellent learning opportunity for him who yes has shown in the past, I mean especially with Katrina that, you know, and he's a leader of of a team. Of course, you know, he's not like that, but it was incredibly tone deaf. And and I think we definitely enjoy, you know, the cancel culture and and hopping on someone, but you know, yes, a publicist probably helped him write it. Um, but he's showing. I mean, he he definitely felt that backlash, Mister. You know, Mister America, mm-hmm. that like everyone loves all the time. I'm sure he did not like you know LeBron James um, tweeting about him to millions of followers. It. I'm sure it hit him, and and I'm you know I'm not him. I'm hoping he uses it as a learning opportunity, but like. I'm cool with that and I'm cool with, you know, him doing that. I'm not going to be like, okay, well, you're not even allowed to apologize now. Like we got to, we got to move on to the more pressing people. And, and, you know, like you said, with the, the kneeling and everything, it's just, uh, people misunderstanding things or, or using it for different purposes. And, and like Keith was saying, white privilege you know, the biggest arguments you hear are, you know, all lives matter, which is, you know, is a very triggering thing to hear now, um, which is just dumb and antagonistic at this point. Um, but white privilege doesn't mean that your life hasn't been hard too. It just means that you didn't have this extra layer of, of it's like acknowledging that you had this extra layer of prejudice that people of color do face and have faced, you know, systematically and economically through history. Yeah. Well, and Keith, to that point, I I think that we all have a lot of fun jumping on the people who (laughs) we've already issued the, uh, the F word already today, who people who fuck (laughs) up on, fuck up on social media. Um, and I, you know, I think it was smart for Drew Brees to come out uh, quickly this morning and issue a very detailed apology. Um, I, it, it doesn't mean like here's my position on it. Basically, is that should people like Drew Brees have room to learn? Yes. Should they have the ability to apologize? Certainly. Um, should they should they be made to feel uncomfortable in a situation like this? Absolutely, because Drew Brees said some stupid shit yesterday, and he deserves everything he got for it. Um, but 
part of the, de- you know, the, but the point is, is that how, what is his reaction to that? Is it to double down and say, no, I'm right. Um, or is it to come out and say, I'm wrong. Um, and, and I think that that's where the journey for so many of us has to begin. And, and to that earlier point, um, acknowledging others pain. Um, I think people get defensive about it in our culture, especially, um, especially, you know, when you are, when you're white, that whole notion of what we, we joke and sometimes we'll call it white guilt or whatever you want to call it. People sometimes are afraid to acknowledge the pain and trauma of others because that then makes them feel like they have something to, uh, that they've got to start, that they have to apologize or that they have to feel guilty or whatever. The way I look at it is the, the way you feel is the way you feel. Your actions ought to be guided by education and information of, of understanding, you know, what people have gone through. Um, it's not about whether it's quote unquote, your fault, uh, which is such a, a silly thing. Uh, you can acknowledge other people's pain, the wrongs of society, um, and that you could do better um, without, you know, separate from this notion of whether you're guilty or not. And that's because to me, that's the that's such a false litmus test of, well, if I'm not guilty of it, why should I feel bad about racism? You know, I'm not being racist, so therefore I shouldn't feel bad about what these people are going through. And that's what's got to change. That's what I feel like is beginning to shift uh, a bit here. And that's why I'm very cautiously optimistic that this is not just a, you know, early, late weekend in May, early weekend in June sort of thing that is happening because people have time. I I genuinely think that there is a movement afoot because people who did not previously acknowledge some of this privilege and some of the advantages that they've had are suddenly beginning to have conversations that before felt off limits to them. Um, and um, some of that is, is, and some of that's going to include some very uncomfortable moments moving forward. Drew Brees is the tip of the iceberg. Wait until the NFL actually starts back up again. And now you see, you see lots more people taking a knee. You see um, lots of, of, of these sporting uh, franchises and clubs who are having to probably issue statements on an ongoing basis about exactly what their actions mean or don't mean or what they support and so on. Um, If it's a messy conversation, it still feels like a conversation that is, is necessary and all change, especially change that's worthwhile uh, is rarely an easy conversation. Um, identifying the problem, uh, some would argue is the easy part, but getting to solutions is where the real challenges lie. And that's going to come with some real bumps, uh, bumps in the road. Um, guys, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to end, uh, our last few minutes, uh, in, in wrapping this up by, um, asking, uh, as we begin to, um, as we begin to, uh, get back into a place where sports are going to happen, uh, whether we like it or not. Um, uh, and just to kind of shift this a little bit, because I know this has all been a, a pretty, uh, heavy conversation. Um, do we, th- as much as we've been talking about, um, obviously the big issues of the day in America, we can't forget obviously about everything going on with the virus. We can't forget about 
how everything right now feels like it's changing and it's different in ways that often feel uncomfortable. Um, as it pertains to sports, and we are now beginning to see some of our sports start up again, uh, Premier League, uh, I guess, is going to be back in about three weeks or so. Um, perhaps uh, the, the NBA here is working to get going. Uh, baseball, maybe. Hockey is, is working to get going. I mean, all these things are happening. Sports are going to look different for a long time. They're going to feel different for a long time. Given the heaviness of everything that's been happening in the world, Keith, and I'll start with you on this. Does sports have a different place in your mind or in your heart now after all of this than it did before? I think for now, like it's, it's, it's not important to me right now. Sports throughout my life has been a hugely important thing. I've always been very, very into various sports um, watching, playing, and it just it doesn't feel like the same as it did before. It almost feels inconsequential now. Um, in the UK, 50,000 people have died mm-hmm. because of a lack of someone taking charge of a situation, and now we're doing something stupid like rushing back competitive sports for the morale of the nation when the morale of the nation would have been better served by not letting 50,000 people die. Mm -hmm. And it just, it feels like it's being used almost as a, almost as a screen to hide bad news behind. They can say, Oh, look, we've got the premier league back, premier league football. Everyone watch the premier league footage. Everyone look at them all running around, kicking the ball. Oh, isn't it great? While (laughs) people are still dying in their hundreds every day. Yeah. And it just seems it seems crass to me how quickly they're rushing it back. I don't I don't want sport to change forever. I don't want it to be like uh oh well this this is what sports sport is now like. Just take a break from it for as long as it takes that we can have sport back as we know it and as we love it, rather than trying to bring through this sort of this bastardized version of sport where it's all condensed and hygienic and no crowds. Yeah. No, no (laughs) crowds. You look at, look at the the Bundesliga that's been brought back. I think I managed about two and a half minutes of the Schalke versus Borussia Dortmund game. Yeah, me too. And it was just, it wasn't football. Yeah. I, that's another conversation I'm sure, but you, you touched on something there. Like and I've had this conversation on previous episodes here about that, that Bundesliga restart. And like, you don't, I, I feel like lip service gets paid to this idea that there is no sport without the fans, but that's because you've never been confronted with a case where you'd ever have to test that theory. And now that it's being tested, um, Part of the reason I'm so in favor of them piping artificial crowd noise into the TV broadcasts is because it sounds downright creepy to watch an empty stadium full of, of football players. It really does. And I'm, I, I think that speaks to this notion, too, to get back to the original question of, of like, on the one hand, I do miss sports a little bit. I definitely miss Everton far less with Yerry Mina injured. I won't lie about that because I love him, but 
I, I have missed it a little bit. I've missed some of my other sports quite a bit from the standpoint that a distraction would be nice. I don't know that I would translate that into that's a real morale booster as much as it is a nice respite from this heavy, serious world we're currently in. But to your point, um, you know, it's sort of like when something really bad happens to you or to someone you love, it, it, it takes a while for the things that were formerly pastimes to to really resonate with you like they once did. Like I, this time a year ago, I was already obsessing about our transfer window. And now that seems, while I think about it sometimes in a passing glance sort of way, this, all of this stuff, sports just seems, I I don't want to say Keith, that like sports doesn't matter, but I will say that it's never mattered less to me than it does right now. It doesn't mean that it won't be useful or that I don't want it to come back in some form, but it does. It's just, I'm having a hard time focusing on things that in the grand scheme with everything going on, don't matter. And I'd like to find a way to, to feel, feel again, but it's, it's a little hard. Yeah. I mean, like I, I lost an uncle um, last month to COVID-19 oh, and sorry, his, his funeral was obviously one of the, one of the, the new funerals where you're only allowed like three or four family members and that's still happening. And that will happen, continue to happen for months to come now where people will have to watch a funeral over a video link because there's only allowed to be four people in the building yet. They're trying to bring back competitive contact sport. It just it's it crashes the word that I'll keep coming back to. Yeah. It feels like they're trying to force us into a normality when we're not in a normality, and we need to accept that we're not in a normality and won't be until we treat this properly and get rid of it. Not just yeah. not just pay lip service to the whole thing, but actually find a vaccine. So like we're we're in a situation now where people are contracting COVID nineteen. People in competitive sport might contract it through competitive sport, yet there's no cure for it. So you're asking people to risk catching a disease to entertain people on television. Hey, there's, TV, there's TV money that's got to be made, Keith. <laughs> a disease for which there is no cure. You're asking people to risk their lives and the lives of the families to avoid having to pay back money to a TV company. Yeah. Which is, which is what it all boils down to, and it's it, it just doesn't sit right with me. And, and Sebastian, I I wonder too. Like, you know, on the one hand, I'm I'm all for it if they can find a way to make it feasible. I guess I, I think that though the underlying point, you know, maybe that you know the, that Keith articulated at least the way it hit hit me was just that it's amazing the links we will go in order to kind of facilitate something like sports again. And yet we've been consistently told that we don't have enough money for personal protective equipment. We don't have enough, you know, early on, at least in America, we don't have enough money for, for testing um, that we're just going to have to, you know, try and try and just uh, be tough and stiff upper lip it and get by. And yet 
you know, to your point about a funeral, I had my, my childhood best friend, his father died recently, uh, suddenly, and I had to attend a virtual funeral for him. And it's, it's so, it's, it's amazing how the things that don't generate money just don't seem to be a priority, but the things that where, where millions of dollars are on the line, ostensibly, we, we, it's amazing how much attachment we have, we've put towards, uh, towards money. Well, then you bring in the arguments of like, you know, an economist will say that, you know, we need to generate this money to help and get that, that protection equipment and everything. But I don't want to, I am, that's not my lane, nor will I want to go there, but I know people <laughs> would argue that. Um, that being said, I, I agree with Keith. Like there's, there's no way that, you know, I'm fully on board with not doing anything. That's a risk. Um, do, I don't think, um, yeah, I don't think we'll, there's a point where there's going to be like no COVID-19 anywhere. Um, right. But the risks need to be very, very, I mean, the vaccine, everything has to happen before. As far as talking about the importance of sports, um, I kind of connect it to the importance of the arts um, in that I don't think it's mutually exclusive where you, you can't enjoy sports and not acknowledge that something is going on in the world. Um, I think it's, we often, since there's not a, a number attached to it, um, undervalue nourishing our soul in times like this. Mm -hmm. um, and sports for a lot of people, af of course, I'm saying after it's safe again, is some some of the only emotional outlet people have. Um, yes, I've been on Everton Twitter. I can assure you there are some people <laughs> for whom that is all of their emotional output. Yes. Yeah. And it's... And, you know, we can talk about how people have issues communicating, but um, that is important. Sports are important. It's not a selfish thing to be a part of something, be a part of a movement that's bigger than you, connect with other people, find joy in things and overcome adversity. That's important. I think we all know that. Um, when is it going to be okay again? That's not for us to figure out. Um, it's, you know... You know, in my profession as a performing artist, I know I'm going to be the last person to go back to work. We're not going to be able to have audiences for a very long time, and you can't put on concerts if you don't have people buying tickets. Um, but we have to find ways to be, you know, proactive, creative. Um, I in th One little point I wanted to make about what you are talking about with the Dallas Cowboys, I do like how our quarterback, who's in the midst of very contentious contract negotiations right now, kind of did a subtle, like, you know, he, he gave a million dollars to, I think, a charity focusing on uh, well, police training and, police and training. racial sensitivity training. Yeah. Yeah. While our, you know, he's a he's a like 78, 80 year old billionaire from, you know, Arkansas. I mean, he, he's, Jerry Jones, the owner, not the quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. That would not be an effective quarterback. Um, so, I mean, he's a product of who he is and he knows his he thinks his fan base is mostly like him. But. Again, you know, I think we need our spirits lifted in a safe way. So there's no there's no easy way. There's right. <laughs> right. And, and to Keith, to your point, like and, and I think I should say this too to kind of wrap up, like uh, part of me asking the question is more of just wondering how each of us feels about what sports means to us. And I think some of that can't be known until it actually comes back and we actually see how we feel about it. Um, I think it goes without saying that 
I have been, for instance, against the Premier League restart or really any of these restarts just because I feel like what's the what's the point without fans, without, you know, uh, without safety, without a vaccine and so on. But, you know, to to Sebastian's point, too, uh, that is not the same as saying that you're a bad person because with all this important or heavy stuff going on, you still care about your team or you still care about music or you still care about other things that are that are diversions. I mean, I think we all have to get through this in our own ways. It's just trying to I think that we have had we've been engaged in the last few months in this world in an exercise of determining what our actual priorities uh, are versus what they should be. And I think that that's where um, I think that that's uh, really going to be the thing I remember most about 2020. Um, I've joked several times that doing all this just so that the, you know, the Reds can win their title um, is so silly to me because no one's going to think about their title outside of their fan base in 2020. Everyone's going to remember what has happened this year for the for the next generation. Um, this is one of the most uh, consequential years in, hum- you know, arguably in, in uh, you know, Western civilization, his- you know, history in the last, you know, 100, 100 something years. And um, I think that we all are, are getting kind of a reconfiguration of of you know what what the priorities are and what they should be and and uh and guys it's only just now june we've got six more months of this uh thing to get through <laughs> so well guys uh look i know today was a bit heavy uh next week um you know the obviously the events uh will will dictate a lot of this but uh, i hope to get back to you know, some more diversionary stuff and uh, Sebastian. Puppy dogs and rainbows. That's right. Uh, Sebastian and Keith, uh, thank you. I will certainly have you guys back on to tell uh, dirty jokes and to make fun of Everton like like we, we normally enjoy doing. But I, I want to thank you both because I know that uh, this can be an uncomfortable and weird conversation, but I think that the reason that that was part of the point. Um, I want us to talk about things that make us uncomfortable or that we don't always know how to talk about. And uh, I think right now it's it's important for us to 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 not keep that stuff in and to to consider the the, the broader world outside of our own uh, and to have an opportunity to do it on a on a podcast like this uh, even better. So uh, for Keith and for Sebastian, I'm with the new Chevy Silverado. You might be driving in this, but with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.